0: Hello and welcome to the Cargatini Show. We don't believe in ourselves enough to really go after our dreams. I had a purpose. It was in a
1: marriage, I wasn't too happy with my relationship at the time. I don't know what it is yet, but I just, I really trust it. And it's it's exciting to tap into it because you see little breadcrumbs of it, like little kind of tastes of mm-hmm. different kind of doors that you're opening up.
0: I do genuinely believe mm-hmm. that if you have the confidence and the self-belief
1: to achieve, anything is is possible i really can create change in this world i really can help people they've changed my life they've completely revolutionized the way that i think and they've encouraged my highest self and um you know i think the foundations in those three books
0: activate countdown five four All right, my guest today is currently a product manager at Google, Mm. working on Chrome, the world's most popular browser. He's been working there for over four years, where he's launched features across Chrome, Android, Google Search, and Google Ads. Outside of Google, he is an active mentor within the London startup community. He co-founded a startup called Sunrise, which was an app helping users book photographers. On demand, and resulted in making Y Combinator's top 100 most promising startups out of 15,000 other startups in winter of 2019. He studied computer science at UCL and started his career as a software engineer in various startups before joining Google. His passion is to use technology to make people's lives easier. Ladies and gentlemen, it's Ali Saro. Ali, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you for having me. It's an honor to be here.
0: All right, so Ali, let's dive into your journey. Uh, how did you get into tech?
1: Sure. So I've always been passionate about using technology to solve problems at scale. You know, even as a, even as a kid um, growing up, I've always been fascinated by using new technology. And, you know, before I even started studying computer science formally, I was always playing around and developing apps for fun. And mm-hmm. um, And then I ended up studying computer science at university. And even there, I was involved in some startups. I worked as a developer for various ones. Some were successful. Um, others weren't so successful. <laughs> and then mm-hmm. um, after graduating, I joined Google uh, to work mainly as a sales engineer because I enjoyed coding, but I wanted some of the commercial experience as well. Mm-hmm. And I worked on the ads team. And then after learning about product management and um, you know being able to launch features in that kind of capacity it really resonated to me and um, since making the transition I've really enjoyed it
0: okay take us a little bit back I want to kind of kind of want to hear the the early stages first of all where are you you from like where originally are you from where were you born and yeah yeah
1: yeah so I was born and raised in London Mm -hmm. and I pretty much lived here all of my life with the exception Mm -hmm. of A small stint in paris so i did an internship in paris and i lived there for a couple of months that was that was quite fun but primarily in london
0: are your parents originally from london as well
1: no they're not actually so they're from iraq so Mm -hmm. they were um, refugees from iraq and they moved to london and um, i was born here so
0: Yeah, So I want to know, when did you first get introduced to tech? Like, you know, you shared with us briefly how you you got into tech, but from the early stages, like, what do you remember about, like, your first initial experiences with technology?
1: Mm -hmm. So I remember as a teenager, I was very aware that the only way to solve problems at scale is through some form of technology. And, Mm -hmm. um, you know, and I was also very aware that we're going through a revolution of some kind of, uh, of the information age where, you know, everything is becoming more and more. Yeah. Yeah. Um,
2: uh,
1: like technology is making lives a lot easier and it's disrupting many industries. So yeah. I, I was aware of that growing up and and um, I was always interested in maths and science sort of subjects. And I wanted something a bit more practical, which is why. Um, I started looking into uh, programming and um, started talking to people that I knew who were in this field. And you know, um, being a second-generation Iraqi,
2: mm-hmm. um,
1: it's uh, it's not it's not a very traditional field. You know, like most people whose parents are immigrants and from other places, generally the guidance is to stick to very structured and um, very safe careers like medicine and pharmacy, and dentistry. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it never really resonated with me like I've always been interested in the ability to solve problems at scale and i, I never I was never really interested in programming as the tool itself. I, I enjoyed it to some extent, but what really interested me was the impact it could have you know you can have an idea, you can develop something and then all of a sudden tens, hundreds, thousands, hundreds thousands, millions, hundreds of millions of people can can uh, change the way they use something and you could you can change that so I've I've always been fascinated by. That. I think um, you know some films have also uh, changed the way I see that as well. I remember watching The Social Network. Um, oh yeah. The <laughs> one with Mark Zuckerberg, and and I think that also. Um, you know,
0: you're gonna uh, you're gonna tell us if that if that's real? Like he gets right on on glass. <laughs> <laughs>
1: you know, well, I'm, I'm not sure exactly what they did, but I, I would find it very unrealistic if they started writing <laughs> on windows. <laughs> But um, even just watching that film as a as a as a teenager, as as a, as a kid growing up, you know, it, it resonated with me about like someone, um, you know, say what you will about Mark Zuckerberg, but you know, as as an eighteen-year-old who started that in Harvard and then grew it to be the empire Facebook is at the moment, it's mm-hmm. uh it's it's a pretty remarkable story. So I think that also um, uh, resonated with me as well.
0: Yeah. So I want to take us back to the you know. I mean, your parents coming here in London and then you, you know, you start this journey of take. Were they very supportive of you going to that direction or did they want something a little bit more like, I don't want to say safe, but that's kind of what I mean.
1: Yeah, so my parents were were, were quite supportive. Um, and, you know, I think there is uh, definitely some like appetite to to get me interested in more structured. Um, and more mm. safe in quotation marks uh, yeah. fields like like medicine and, and um, other ones and and law. um mm. but you know they were like they were supportive and even when I was interested in getting some work experience before even going to university and working in this that they were, they were very supportive about that so that was um that was all good but I can imagine there's a lot of pressure comes from families to uh-huh. encourage their kids to get into certain, and encouraged there was them. no pressure yeah, for you. Yeah, it was. Uh, it's. I wouldn't say there's no issue at all. I think. Um, but but it's def- it wasn't it wasn't that big of an issue. No, it wasn't. Okay. Thankfully, like, thankfully, in my case, it was okay. Yeah.
0: Nice. And did you personally have any personal pressure, self-imposed pressure, to kind of prove yourself, or to prove yeah, to prove yourself to your parents, or to any family
1: members? Yeah yeah so to some extent i i put some pressure on myself and uh, i think a lot of pressure came from within rather than from my parents i think um you know i guess a bit of pressure came from parents because of like generally uh you know potentially high expectations but it, it was more for myself like i remember just having some goals and i i always just tried to um set myself some targets and and try to achieve them I honestly feel like I'm I'm just getting started, and um, mm-hmm. you know there's a lot more I want to do, but yeah. um, you know I'm always striving to um to achieve whatever it is I I want to do. So I would say most of the pressure came from myself.
0: Nice. Let's talk about Sunrise, the app you started. How did you come up with this idea? Yeah. So setup.
1: Yeah. So I'm happy to talk about that. So Sunrise um was an app that. My friend and I co-founded.
0: How old were you then?
1: So I was twenty-three, I believe. Okay.
2: Twenty-three, uh, twenty-three
1: or twenty-four. Um, I, I think, yeah, I think twenty-three. And, um, the idea came about because a friend of mine, um, and uh, like a friend of mine and myself, we we wanted to work on something together, and we were thinking about different ideas to work mm-hmm. on. Um, we wanted to work on new challenges and, uh, we noticed that, you know, the process for booking photographers is very expensive and very time consuming. Mm -hmm. And, um, not only that, but it's also quite difficult to find photographers and it's quite, quite tricky. And then on the supply side, on the photographer side, there were a lot of really, really talented photographers, but they weren't getting enough business. And, and a lot of them really enjoyed, um, doing what they love. we felt like this would be an interesting problem to tackle. We also found that the demand for high quality photography was increasing over time. And, um, and so, yeah, we, we decided to just get started and work on it. We bootstrapped it all from, from the ground and um, we both ended up just um, designing the apps, developing them, um, dealing with all the other stuff, like you know all the legal stuff, privacy, Um, you know, actually recruiting the photographers, um, you know, uh, actually marketing it as well, making deals with certain uh, companies that require photography. So all in all, it was, it was a great experience. It's, it's no longer there. Uh, we we decided to discontinue because, um, it didn't really interest us that much anymore. And, um, and we decided to close the chapter there, but overall it was, yeah, yeah. So. So we could have sold it. That, that would have been another option. Um, we, we personally um, are not uh, opposed to selling it, but just for now, it's, uh, we're just focusing on other...
0: So you didn't like, completely close it down? You just kind of put it on hold or something like that? Yeah,
1: yeah, exactly. exactly. Yeah, it's just on hold. It's not completely shut down. It's still, it still exists, but we're, we're just focusing on other areas for now. So.
0: Yes. So why photography? Is that an area that you are interested in? Right? Is, that, is that something that you're passionate about?
1: Yeah. So um, I, think, I think for my co-founder and I, it was both, both of our motivations for this was around uh, the process for um, actually like, getting a photographer and booking them was, was really hard and time consuming. And, and we, we found this ourselves. And we knew that there's a lot of occasions in which photography is very necessary, like there's a big event, and, you know, like weddings, graduation. And mm. and we just thought it's it's amazing to be part of that and to provide that experience, that service. And we also both knew quite a few amateur photographers who were struggling to get more to get more clients as well. So we were interested in it from that perspective. Um personally I'm I'm not the like I'm not really a great photographer, <laughs> but mm. it was more it was more about like seeing the, the need and fulfilling it and, and seeing um you know what what it could do to to uh,
0: to help people all right so 23 24 ish you 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 start uh sunrise and then you graduate from college right from university and yeah. how did you get into google yeah. is that so, what were your plans before even we, we, we talk about google yeah. what were your plans and your goals before while you're still in college so while i was at university
1: i was still passionate about using technology to solve problems. And um, I wanted to get a lot of experience, um, both startup wise and um, in, in, in a big company, in a big team. And I was and still am, you know, have a very keen interest in working on products that I like, that I am passionate about. Mm-hmm. So I always imagined myself um, starting. Uh, like some companies, like, like developing some startups, but also working for um, a big tech company, uh, specifically Google, because I've always been a fan of Google products. I've always been an Android user, for example, and mm-hmm. I've always um, liked the idea of working on these products that I'm so used to using and, and potentially you know, changing them and improving them over time.
0: All right, so I'm curious to know, how how do you then get into Google? Because first of all, the competition must be very high. I mean, it is very very high. I mean, everyone knows that. So yeah. how how was that? How was that experience?
1: Yeah yeah. So during university, like I said, I did computer science, and yeah. I was also very interested in getting some more commercial experience. As I mentioned as well, I wasn't just interested in becoming a software engineer. I've always wanted to get into product management and um, you know actually shape the way products are developed and um, change the strategy of certain products so I I actually applied for a business internship at Google which which I got so I did an internship at Google in Paris for a couple of months in, in, the, in the commercial side and then I ended up joining Google the year after as a sales engineer as a solution engineer and yeah. Um, the way in which I got those is through uh, quite a few interviews and then I did a couple of conversion interviews from the internship to the graduate role and then, mm. I, and then I just joined that and I worked on that for you know, a couple of years and then I transitioned to product management which I needed to do interviews for as well.
0: Yeah, so we're talking about the time from, so that's uh... You graduated at what age? But did you graduate twenty or twenty twenty five something? Twenty six?
1: No, I graduated at the age of twenty one.
0: Twenty one? Yeah. Okay, so currently how old are you?
1: Uh twenty six. Twenty
0: six. So you get into Google at around at what age? at, at twenty one. Twenty one. Interesting. Yeah. You know, not so many like I don't know. I think Google has a different approach to 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 hiring, like young talent. I think they do see a lot of potential. It's not just about experience, but about probably a lot of other qualities, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, what was that interview process like for you at 21 going getting to get into Google?
1: Yeah, for sure. I'm I'm happy to talk about that. So, I think yeah, like like you say, Google is, is, is great with hiring diverse talent and um, in, like including many graduates as well. So. Mm-hmm. For my interviews, I think the more junior you are, in general, the less mm. experience um, is required. Obviously, so okay. um, so you know, for, for my first job, the, the the questions weren't so focused on actually what did uh, what did I do in the past. That the questions didn't focus on that. It was more around how do you think about certain problems interesting how, how is your what's your ability um like how good is your ability to communicate uh-huh. and how do you think about strategy etc like it, it was more it was less experience focused and more competency-based focus mm-hmm. and, mm-hmm. and, and behavioral yeah interesting and also yeah so as well so, so there's the different interviews right so in the technical interviews they test your ability to code and how good of a coder are you and then the uh-huh other sort of interviews depending on the role you're going for. So for example in product management interviews, they assess you on how um how good are you at designing products and how do you think about what's a good product, what's a bad product. Um, and then there are like strategy sort of questions like how would you um, design a strategy for a certain product and what's your vision for certain products. And then other ones are around like analytical, like how analytical are you? Um, and then technical as well and then leadership too. So, they set you on many different dimensions depending on the role you're going for.
0: Mm-hmm. So, you go in as a source engineer. So, what kind of mindset, what kind of, what was the, the mindset shift that happened between then and you being appointed a uh, product manager at Google?
1: Yeah. So, mindset in terms of like how I think about the role or how I think about?
0: Yeah. Like, generally, I think because it's obviously a bigger step right so what how did you transform as a person how did you what had to happen for you to actually rise to that level what do you think attribute that to
1: Mm, right right i see yeah so when i first joined google i wasn't necessarily very good at um recognizing what what makes good products what makes bad products why do products succeed why do products fail um my knowledge of marketing was was very low my knowledge of market landscape was was low like i i I wasn't able to to spot um i guess my eye for design wasn't as good as it is
0: now Mm -hmm. and i've
1: kind of developed a lot of skills that have helped me make that transition um a lot of the like a lot of it is also product intuition too like i think the more experience you have launching features for users the more you have a pulse on what kind of features would resonate, what kind of experiences are acceptable, which are not acceptable. Um, mm-hmm. You have a different, you, you, you develop a different sort of bar for like product excellence. And mm-hmm. I think that develops over experience. Also just the, um, you know, there's obviously a lot of soft skills as well that you need to develop when you're a product manager and you're um, leading, the, uh, leading the product roadmap, et cetera. So that was also developed over time too. So for example, like communication, whether it's verbal or written communication. Mm. And, um, yeah, like other things that I mentioned before, like even just presenting and uh, yeah. more, uh, strategic insights. Um, yeah.
0: Yeah. So what is it like uh, to make decisions and launch features for hundreds of millions of people? i even billions, I should say.
1: Um, so, I think firstly, delivering great experiences for like more than a billion users or hundreds of millions of users is extremely difficult because there are so many different types of users, right? Like, So, to take Chrome as an example, because I work on Chrome, mm. there are many, 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 many different Chrome users, right? Like, many, many different across.
2: I use Chrome. I'm many, one of them.
1: Oh, great. <laughs> great. <laughs> um, and, um uh, you know, but because there are so many different types of users, deciding mm-hmm. on what we should launch, what we shouldn't launch, what we should prioritize, what we shouldn't prioritize can become tricky and and a lot of it comes down to prioritization um so prioritizing okay, what like where do we want to take the product in the future like there, there's no way you can make everyone happy. that's genuinely just not possible because you're dealing with mm-hmm. friendly people, so it forces you to to be uh to be good at just prioritizing. What kind of problems you want to solve that will satisfy a proportion of the users, and Mm -hmm. um, you know we we conduct a lot of UX research um, to to help us validate assumptions based on what we think would be useful, but obviously it doesn't identify every case, and you know there there are many many cases it doesn't. So the the best way really the most scalable way is to use A/B testing. So whenever we um, decide to launch something, we decide to test it with. A small population of people and then we increase that population size as mm. we validate more and more of our assumptions and mm. um you know it, it could just be as basic as does this new change introduce uh, changes that negatively impact the product and obviously if that's the case then we need to reassess we ha- we generally set success metrics as well so you know given our success metrics how do they increase after launching some experiment? and then the more confidence we have in a certain experiment the more we ramp that experiment up until mm-hmm. we eventually launch it so um obviously before that we need to make sure like i need to make sure I liaise with privacy security accessibility legal testing ux working with many many stakeholders obviously um but but just at a high level that's that's the way we think about it and i think Another thing to note is that we launch features Mm -hmm. across platforms regularly, right? So, you know, Chrome exists on different platforms, like desktop platforms, like Windows, Mac OS, Linux, Android, iOS. And, you know, there's different expectations based on the platform as well, not just the product. So iOS users have a slightly different expectation of user experience than Android users, for example. So... Mm -hmm. Again, you you kind of want features to be consistent across platforms, but you also need to make sure that the experiences feel very native so that we're providing a great experience there.
0: Nice. So as a product manager, what is it like managing teams at Google?
1: Yeah, so as a product manager, you don't necessarily manage a team directly at Google anyway and, and, and in many companies, but you have to lead the team in terms of product direction without the authority. Because the engineers, designers, researchers, like all the different stakeholders in the product, they don't report to the product manager. So
0: mm-hmm.
1: it introduces an interesting challenge because you need to lead without the authority. But interesting. Overall, all the teams I work with at Google so far have been like really intelligent and, uh, you know, pleasure to work with. So um, it's, been, it's been a great experience.
0: Thanks, Carl. uh. What are some of the lessons you've learned along the way just, you know, in this role? What are some of the, the lessons you look back and like, oh, actually, like, I mean, I found this very, really a good lesson, hmm. a really powerful lesson to learn from your role?
1: Yeah, so the biggest thing I would say is genuinely, like, really caring about what you work on. And um, it sounds cliche, but I think oftentimes, there will be hard times on on whatever you work on and and it's important to to work on something that makes you fulfilled um this is something that is very very underrated and um people should constantly remind themselves whether they enjoy what they work on and whether they um, like the problem that they're solving at the moment Um, in terms of other lessons I think there are many different types of lessons. We can talk about lessons in terms of like experience through Google, through startups. We can Talk about like specific lessons within product, etc. So, what kind of what kind of lessons do, do you have in mind in terms of like things that would be interesting to you?
0: I wanted to uh, focus more on the personal lessons, like how working at Google has impacted you as a person. Mm. Yeah, like. How has it shifted the way you do, you lead your everyday life? I, I, I know that sounds a little bit vague and, you know, very broad, but
1: yeah. how yeah. has
0: it, yeah. yeah, in any way, I don't know.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's an interesting question. So um, to be quite frank, I'm, I'm not, so it, it's hard to compare what we would have been like without the experience at Google, because obviously I've, I've been there for more than four years now, but yeah, yeah. I, I've definitely learned a lot during my time and I would say one of the best things about working Mm -hmm. with Google and what's really helped me improve is the fact that I can work with people who are very 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 good and world-class at what they do Mm -hmm. and um, I guess that would be the biggest thing because then whatever it is I'm working on whether it's the engineers, the designers, the marketers Mm -hmm. like all of these people are world-class so I end up just absorbing and learning so much about whatever it is like whether it's design um you know uh marketing etc so i think there's that but also i have really learned what it, what it means to have a great like culture as well like company culture i think google does a great job of fucking, mm. like a great culture of respect and um a culture in which people enjoy going to work as well and mm. that's that's also something that's been really interesting to me.
0: Yeah, and speaking of that, you know, the last time we we were on a call, I shared with you like I've had a lot of stories about, you know, the way guys working environment. I've had their sleeping, yeah. <laughs> I don't know if it's true, their sleeping rooms, yeah. their um, fridges filled with snacks, and you know, like
2: yeah.
0: things like that. I think probably almost all college, you know, college people have had college kids have had all, all stuff. Mm, is yeah. that true? How true is that? Like what kind of packs do you guys have or what kind of what's the working routine and environment like?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm, I'm happy to talk about that. So right now obviously because of COVID nineteen, you know, the vast majority of us are working from home. So um Yeah pre COVID like, pre COVID. Yeah, um yeah, I think I've been to quite a few different offices, and generally, for the most part, there is um, you know a lot of the things you mentioned. So like you know, buffet breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and snacks, and nap pods, and massages, et cetera. So like there are some nice perks like that. I think um, on top of that, it's just it's quite flexible in like in terms of like flexible uh, working time. So if you have commitments, like personal commitments, generally it's mm-hmm. okay you know it, it depends on the team and the product but in in general mm-hmm. um it's quite accommodating to to uh, to that whether you need to um, move some meetings around it, which, 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 like which is quite nice it, like in general i think what's great about the culture is it's quite meritocratic so mm-hmm. people and your manager and your team um mainly care about whether some whether you're doing your job well and whether the product is on track to succeed more so than the amount of time you've clocked in and and i've seen this a lot with people i know work in more traditional companies and you know Mm. different institutions where it's it's quite draining because a lot of them are just at work and they just need to fill the time and i i I just can't even imagine what that's like I, i think that would be Really bad. So I, I think that's also another thing which I've uh, kind of taken for granted, and, and, and I think Google does really well.
0: Yeah. So the end result matters more than the amount of time that goes into the you know the, the final product, right?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. To some extent, I, I think also the way you approach certain problems is also uh, acknowledged and, and heard. But I think mm. that the most important thing to performance is is your actual delivery rather than um, how much necessarily time you spend mm-hmm. on something. So, um, but yeah, in terms of like COVID, um, like uh, yeah. COVID nineteen, I think for, for for many people who work on product, for example, you know, I can personally get most things done remotely, but mm. the thing that's suffered the most is like actually face to face contact and developing relationships and um, developing rapport with people. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's much harder to do that remotely. You know, like we, we have. Mm-hmm different calls and we've tried various things and some of them have been quite successful but mm. I think um actually the human, the human contact is uh is, is really important you know even just going for breakfast together for lunch together going, yeah, yeah. You know, toffee, I think those small things can can definitely make a difference so um yeah so that's that's one thing which uh, which is worth pointing out especially if you're in a role like a product manager where you, you know, you need to meet a product and you need to work with many, many people.
0: Mm-hmm. Ali, what is it like working for a big company versus a startup? Because you've done both. what is what, what do you feel is the difference? Yeah, the big- yeah.
1: Yeah, so there are many, many differences in my opinion, and there are quite a few similarities too. I, I can only talk about my experience. So yeah, sure. I'll just talk about like the things that I've noticed personally. You know, Mm -hmm. a big company generally you've got a bigger team, you've got like more people working on working in the space. Um, Generally, more support from from people in terms of you know more uh, training available, uh, more certainty, more stability. In a startup, sometimes it can feel like okay, if we don't get this done, then we're going to lose, we're going to run out of money, and we're going to just have to close down. (laughs) And Mm. uh, so, definitely more stability in a bigger company i think um in a startup you know that there, there is generally less uh process obviously you know i think process is important especially in bigger companies but um you know process is important to make sure that you know things go well and and you know to make sure things don't slip but at the same time i think in startups there are just less restrictions because there's less process less Formal process, so um, you can work on something without necessarily needing certain approvals. Um, You can; it's easier to take risks and iterate quicker. I think in a startup, because Mm -hmm. there are less people involved, I think generally less overhead. And uh, I feel like in a startup, it's uh, you know, I I think there's a saying that like the highs are high and the and the lows are low, and I think that's definitely true. You know, um, I like I remember. even just working on something and then um, people seeing it in the wild and downloading it and having like a few users use, use your product is, is incredibly rewarding. And,
2: mm-hmm.
1: you know, it, it's a completely different feeling to, mm-hmm. to a uh, to a much bigger company. I think there are definitely pros and cons and I think there, there are definitely a lot of reasons for one or the other, but I feel like those are some things that are top of mind. I think there is also a lot of, um, you know, good reasons and bad reasons to start companies, and I think that this is something I've given some thought. You know, um, I think mm-hmm. uh, it, like the idea of starting a startup can be quite glamorous, and and you know, a lot of people fantasize about this sort of stuff. But I think mm-hmm. some good reasons to start companies would be like if you see an opportunity to deliver a lot of value for people, if you're passionate about what you're going to work on, you're excited, mm-hmm. challenge. And ideally, you've got, like, some experience in the area and you enjoy dealing with uncertainty and chaos. Whereas mm-hmm. some bad reasons are that I've heard are people that say things like, I want to be my own boss.
2: Mm-hmm. Um,
1: and, and I think, in reality, this is, like, uh, quite egotistical.
0: That's a bad reason? It, sorry? That's a bad reason?
1: Y- yeah, like, I would say that's that's not... It's not a bad reason in itself, but I think you should definitely check whether that's purely ego or oh. or not, because because I think in reality, even though you want to be your own boss, you end okay. up having people to answer to, like investors anyway. And I think um, if that is the primary reason, I think it's probably a bad reason. I think if that is a reason on top of other things, like you're excited to work on this, or you've had some experience, you enjoy dealing with uncertainty, I, I think then it's then it's okay. Like I don't think it's it's a bad reason in combination of others. I think if that's the primary primary reason, I feel like people should mm. kind of evaluate whether or not this is just ego speaking or this is uh, this is for real. Yeah, and then and then th- there are other things I've heard like people who want to get rich quick. Um, and although this is possible, it's also quite unrealistic and statistically, mm. um, statistically unrealistic. Um, there's also like the, the cool factor, like it's cool to have your own startup, which again, may be ego as well. So it's worth thinking. And then the last one I've, I've heard of a lot, which is like the whole, you know, I've heard people say, you know, if you don't build your dream, someone will hire you to build theirs, which is, which is, um, an interesting one because I think your dream can in many cases be more likely to be achieved if you work for others as well. And it doesn't have to be your own thing. And so when I hear this, I'm not quite sure how to react. It depends on what the dream is, but...
0: Um, mm, yeah. Actually, it depends yeah. on what the dream is,
1: yeah. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Like, if if the dream is really something that um, cannot be achieved by working for something that exists, then perhaps. But I think in many cases, you know, mm-hmm. the dream is, is a, solving a problem that, you know, is maybe more likely to be solved by working for another company. So, I think mm. those are just some things at top of mind. I think there's nothing wrong with, you know, it, it, like it, it's good uh, that people want to start their own things, but I think people should just be conscious of the main the reason there, why they want to do it. Yeah, yeah,
0: the driving factors. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So Ali, I have to ask you this: What are some challenges that you face in your role as a product manager? Google, that you can share with us.
1: Yeah, so interesting question. Um, the main challenges. Mm, yes, so I think um, one challenge is that as a product manager, you need to make decisions on where the product will go, and, and you know, many times we have we, we strive to, to make the right decisions, right? We obviously always strive to make the right decisions, and you know. Mm we use data and we use ux research and and we definitely use many sources to help inform these decisions but Mm -hmm. in some cases you you just you're just not fully sure like you can never be always fully sure right so Mm -hmm. you have to have a lot of conviction in your decisions and you need to be willing to adapt and and i think one of the hardest things is is making decisions when you don't know the full picture because you just won't know it all right but i think there is some product intuition required and you know Mm -hmm. many decisions will will need some gut feel as well as data and research and everything so i think i would say that's one of the hardest things because it's not something you can control and i think having Mm -hmm. a good pulse on some decisions and um, something that comes with experience as well but Mm -hmm. i feel like that's probably one of the hardest things for me anyway Mm -hmm.
0: I like that you you mentioned intuition. I think I think it's a very it's not a, a concept that you'll hear often people talk about, right? Because I think most of the well, most of the companies, you know, encourage uh you know, everything has to be like measured and everything has to be like, you know, logic, you know. But when you speak about intuition I think that's a very powerful concept. Is that something that you encourage? Does the company encourage, you know, you know, make a decision based on how you feel about something or you so, get involved something. You,
1: yeah. Yeah, so I like I can't speak for Google as a whole, but yeah, personally, sure. personally I feel like um, you know, we, we definitely strive to measure as much as we can and to make as many data driven decisions as we can and to use research mm-hmm. where we can. But mm-hmm. sometimes sometimes they just the data doesn't exist, for example, or sometimes there is some data but it doesn't give the complete picture. Sometimes we conduct research but there's no way to really assess effectively exactly what will happen in all cases, right? So mm. I, I, I think in, in some cases it's a gray area, and, and exactly what should happen, and we, we, you know it's important to minimize that risk and to adapt if your hypothesis is wrong. And um, I think proper intuition for me is not only recognizing that, like recognizing the risk of something but also we mm. willing to adapt and uh, to draw from experiences in the past of what has happened when similar things have been done
0: mm. i love it all right alex so we're going to go into some quick questions are you ready yeah sure let's do it all right so the first is what is your definition of success it's
1: an interesting question i think generally at a high level like having some goal in mind and achieving it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then to me, there, there, there are many different areas, right? Like it, 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 there's, there's my professional life. And um, I think in terms of that, I, I want to continue um, launching uh, features and, and working on stuff that I am passionate about, which I do at the moment,
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, and um, deliver a great experience for people all around the world. In, in the magnitude of like hundreds of millions in the case of now, I think, mm-hmm. um, and, then, and then there's also like things outside of professional as well. So I, I feel like personally, I'm quite um, sporty and, and, and I do quite a few different sports. And I think success for me is staying um, fit, staying healthy. And mm. uh, I, I think that that plays, um, that's definitely uh, something which contribute to, uh, who I am. And, um, yeah, so yeah, it's a tricky awesome. one, but I, I, think that's, that's how I think about success. Like it, it depends on what area of my life, like there are many different like facets, but
2: yeah.
0: Awesome. All right. So, on um, do you have any favorite books?
1: Uh, there, there are quite a few different favorite books I have. You know,
0: yeah. Let yeah. me probably, let me put it this way. Like, do you have any books that have really, really like impacted you in like in such a powerful way that you look back to it and like, oh, that book really, really helped me.
1: Yeah. So, um, it's an interesting question. Um, I think in terms of which book impacted me a lot growing up, um, one book mm. is called Siddhartha, and um, it's a, it's a book that deals with like the spiritual journey of of a man called Siddhartha. Mm-hmm. and um it's uh it's a great book you know it, it talks about like the um the, the just, just generally the journey of life and um it, it generally had quite a big impact on my life um mm-hmm. around uh the way to think about life it, even just my uh my attitude towards fasting changed in that mm-hmm. um in general i would strongly recommend
0: Thanks. And I want us to talk about Stoicism for a bit. How has how has Stoicism impacted your life? Like, and how did you get introduced to that concept for you to really like appreciate it?
1: Yeah. So you know, it, it, it's something that like, like because I've, I've just recently started reading this book, that, like the is book. It's uh it, it's a philosophy that I am interested in deep diving into. I feel like I'm just at the beginning of like really um -hmm. understanding it more and everything but in general the way i see it and and the way i i um like the reason why it resonates with me is because it's generally Mm -hmm. about like the development of self-control and overcoming um certain emotions especially dealing with situations you can't control and how you should um change Mm -hmm. your attitude towards it so um i feel like for this book even though many of the meditations are things that you would have kind of already known and things like, I I think it's quite refreshing to just just read one a day and just ponder over it. It's something my brother gave to me actually, like the book and he, he introduced me to it. All
0: right, so what are some of the habits that have propelled you forward in life that without them probably you didn't have accomplished? What you've accomplished so far?
1: Habits, yeah, so one is reading, Nearly on a daily basis. That's something mm. that's really important. Like that, that could be reading books or even listening to audiobooks. Mm. Um, I think that has really, like, that's generally a b- very good habit. Another one is um, staying fit. So, trying to work out as often as I can, really um, on a daily basis. Especially by the way, these days with with the coronavirus and the lockdown, mm. it's really important to stay active and stay healthy and to go out. And to do sport, whether it's a run, go for a walk, and I, I honestly attribute a lot of the things I've done to having a good balance and actually, um, you know, through like an active sport as well. So -hmm. uh, I would say those are two that come up of mind. Yeah. Nice.
0: And what is one skill you think anyone who wants to succeed in life should learn?
1: Uh, Okay, so yeah, it, it would depend on what their definition of success and what they would like to do. But I think that one thing everybody should strive to improve is, um, generally communication skills, um, mm. especially written communication. I feel like, you know, we, we all write, but
2: not mm. write well, and yeah,
1: that's something that I think is, is super important. And, um, I think it, it's important in terms of, um, getting your ideas across, it's important in terms of leadership, it's important mm-hmm. and of just being unambiguous and you know, we use communication in different levels and to different um, extents based on the roles we play, but mm-hmm. in general, we, we all communicate in some way. So I think that like really doubling down on um, improving our communication, like level and written, our ability to present um, nice. is, is, is crucial. Yeah
0: and what is one key lesson you've learned during this pandemic
1: ah oh, one lesson i've learned during this pandemic yeah one lesson i've learned is it, it's so easy for things to change all of a sudden and, and and i think that the lesson really is just to be able to just to try and adapt to whichever other situation arises and and to be conscious of what you can and can't control, right? Mm-hmm. That, that, that's partly why I was interested in reading more about sphericism because I think yeah there are so many things we just can't control and, you know, this pandemic being one of them. So yeah. we just need to really um, think about what we can do, what we can't do, what's in our sphere of influence, which is not. And so I would say that's the biggest, uh, it's mm-hmm. not. So much a lesson because it's not something new, but definitely reinforce that and, um, definitely help me, uh, realize how honestly, you know, it could just, you know, anything can just change. So the importance of adaptability, yeah. And to not take things for granted, I would say.
0: Mm. And speaking of that, how are you guys, how are you holding up personally? Because I understand, like, London, you guys, uh, you have another lockdown currently.
1: In London, yep, there's a lockdown. Uh, I'm doing well, thanks. Um, Mm. Everything is well, a a lot of places are closed, so Mm I'm sure restaurants and places to sit, places to go inside are closed, but you know, outdoor exercise is encouraged, and um, you know, places are still open in terms of like takeaway, I would say. Mm. But um, yeah, like all good on on my side. How about yourself?
0: I'm doing good. We are quite all right. I mean, it's not like really, really bad, but the issue we have here is political, just a little, a few political, you know, issues going on, but in regards to the virus, it's not that bad. It's not good, but it's not bad that bad.
1: Right, right. I see. Yeah. 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 I think for us, the cases are increasing still, but...
0: Yeah, same here. Yeah. yeah. Generally, I think all over the world, cases are increasing, but... Yeah. In terms of the like uh, severity, I think of the of the of the cases. Mm. Yeah, audience say it's, um, it's really to the it's really the worst it can be right now.
1: Right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah for sure. Um. I guess like time will tell, but hopefully, you know, hopefully, we'll have a vaccine soon. And um, yeah.
0: yeah, yeah. Let's let's hope for that. Let's pray for that. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. So Ali, uh, what is one thing? You are most grateful to have in your life right now
1: honestly that there are so many things i'm very 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 grateful for i would say a few things that are mind for me are my family at the moment and my uh, health i would say are, are the two top things I'm, I'm most grateful for you know without without a good faith um it's hard to to be sane and um especially these days i think having a lot of support, and um, having uh, you know, like having good health and, and a good uh, network of people around you is, mm. is really important. So I would say those are the two most important things, or well, the like, two things I think I'm the most grateful for.
0: Nice. All right, Ali, uh, what is your number one social platform for someone who wants to connect with you?
1: Yeah, so I would say probably LinkedIn. Um, I'm not active on Twitter I have Instagram but I'm not really active but I'm, I'm probably the most active in terms of LinkedIn for my professional uh, network so I would say add me on LinkedIn
0: Alright so uh, for the listener uh, Ali's LinkedIn link will be in the show notes and your website I guess is googlechrome.com <laughs> 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 yeah. Guys look for Ali on googlechrome.com <laughs> <laughs>
1: No, no, you won't see me
0: that. All right. All right. So LinkedIn will be in the show notes. Cool. All right. So before I ask you the final question, Ali, I want to thank you so much for coming on the show, sharing with us your story, your knowledge, your experiences and all the lessons you've taught us. I'm very, I was very excited to chat with you. And yeah, this has been really nice. I'm happy to hear your story and to share your, you know, everything you've shared with us.
1: Yeah, thank you very much for having me on. It was a pleasure talking to you and um, like, this was great. Let's keep in touch.
0: Alright, so this is the final question, Ali. Sure. What did you say to someone listening right now who is about to give up, please frustrated that they're not getting the result they want? This person wants to make progress towards their goals but feels stuck and has no idea what to do next. What advice do you have for this person? Yeah.
1: Okay, so this person feels like they're about to give up on something yeah. that they want. Okay, mm-hmm. and the advice. Um, I think obviously I'm, I'm I'm not in a position to give specific advice on what they should do because I don't know their circumstance. But honestly, I think it's important to 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 just be conscious of the fact that failure is very common and is very normal, and I think um. One of the biggest things I've taken away is that, like for people who um, you know, have failed in something, whether that's in school or afterwards, mm. um, it, it, it's it's quite easy to take it to heart and to to label yourself as a failure. But mm. in all honesty, like it's it's a very normal part of the process. And mm. I think also we need to kind of reassess the way we look at failure, even at, at an institutional level. you know, for example, in school, if you fail your exams you you are a failure right like that that's your identity now and i think mm-hmm. for many people that can just carry over and it can lead to a lot of lack of confidence so i think it, it's important to just remind yourself that it's very common and, and i think even just um looking at like the case studies that exists about like how often failure happens and and how um it's just a part of the journey so i wouldn't you know if someone has a particular goal in mind i think it's um know yeah, it, it's worth it's whether that's something they really want to do and, and to just keep going for it I would say.
0: thanks for joining me this week on the cow again show subscribe to the podcast so that you'll never miss an episode and if you found value in this show i'd appreciate a rating on itunes or if you simply tell a friend about the show that would really help us a lot to grow thanks again for listening See you next week. Take care.